Like every software developer, you ask yourself the question, how many raiding parties does it take to take down your village? Finally, we can answer that question, and we can do it quantitatively through the new game, The Great Whale Road. This is going to be a fun episode where we talk to the author, learn about the process, and see just how he got it on Windows. And that's this episode of Dev Radio. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Microsoft Dev Radio. I'm Jerry Nixon, and I'm here with Joachim Sammer. He's the CEO of Sunburn Games. We're going to talk about game development, specifically their new release, The Great Whale Road. And Joachim, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm all the way over here in Colorado. You're all the way over there. Where are you? Uh, we are based in Spain, in Valencia, a small city south of Barcelona. Sweet. And uh, uh, this is great. I think you're the first guest I've ever had on the show from Spain. My, maybe the second guest from Europe. So just, you know, we're really broadening here. It's terrific. Um, tell us, before we start talking about Sunburn Games, before we start talking about the Great Whale Road, uh, tell me mm -hmm. just a little bit about who you are. Um, yes, so I'm the co-founder of Sunburn Games, the studio. We started off uh, two and a half uh, years ago. Um, originally, I'm um, from a software engineering, software engineering management background. I used to work in London for quite a while. I uh, used to work for uh, uh, financial technology startups, and I used to work for Citigroup uh, for six and a half years or so. So my background is quite uh, is quite different to what I'm doing uh, nowadays. Yeah, usually uh, you're talking to somebody who's in the game industry, and they're just soaking in creative, they're an art major, they're, you know, they really have all this. Look at you coming from a traditional software background. Yeah, I think it was something where I always wanted to try it for a while and um, we had the opportunity to, to, um, uh, to get out of, the, out of the red race for a short while and so we said, okay, we, we're trying it. We, we said after London and we, we used to live in London for nine years, mm -hmm. we decided to come to Spain and uh, Valencia is a great place to start a small uh, software uh, slash game development business. So we kicked off um, uh, beginning of um, 2015, and okay. um, yeah, I've been working on the game for two years. Ah, what a what an investment of your life! Two years of your life in the in this game. It's pretty incredible. Uh, let's back up just a second to Valencia. Tell me just a little bit about um, why Valencia. Uh, Valencia is uh, the third largest city in Spain, so it's uh, slightly more uh, cost-efficient compared to Madrid or Barcelona. Uh, it has plenty of universities, um, you have plenty of uh, young people graduating who look for interesting challenges, looking for uh, their first jobs. Um, there are actually also folks from um, abroad who come here to uh, take a time out or start a business. So we actually have like a new studio which has been founded like the last few months where both of the founders are from LA. <laughs> so uh, it's actually there's a, there's a little bit of traffic coming huh. from where yeah, nowadays. That's cool. That's very cool. I tell you what, I get a lot of interaction with developers from Spain. They're smart developers. That's what is 
that's an easy thing to just categorize. Put them in that pigeonhole. They're just smart developers, and uh, it's cool when I get to interact with them as well. So congratulations. All right, so a couple of years ago, you decided to start off with Sunburn Games. Was it just you by yourself? Uh, me and my wife. So uh, she's more on the on the finance and business side of things, and uh, I'm looking after the studio and uh, the the game development and the writing. Got it. So you were on summer vacation, and both of you got sunburned, and you came up with the name. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then along comes the Great Whale Road. Is this the first title for for Sunburn Games? Yes. Uh, we had like. Uh, two or three titles where we were thinking uh, to start off with. Um, it was something where I was thinking about doing an, hist uh, an historical uh, title uh, set in the Middle Ages for a while. And um, I've been reading uh, too many uh, historical uh, fiction novels set in <laughs> the many. Middle Ages. So it was, uh, it was the one which uh, jumped at me, yeah, more or less. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll tell you something great about The Great Railroad is in a world where every video game seems to be set 200 years in the future. This is actually very fascinating to be able to go through. Uh, before we talk about the technology and things on that side, tell me a little bit about um, how much work is it and how much effort did you put into it to make it historically accurate? Uh, a lot more than you would think. Um, I can't show you the library. Uh, we have like a bookshelf with uh, loads and loads of um, historical um, uh, books about uh, trade, uh, warfare, uh, traditions, uh, religion, a lot of different topics um, had to be researched for the game. And yeah. uh, I think we spent like, we also had a research intern, intern for like three months. I think overall I might have, I spent maybe six months and so nearly, we spent nearly nine months, yeah, nine person months mm -hmm. on just researching the background for the game. Yeah. You know what? I think there's just a drop of um, maybe social responsibility to make sure that the history is at least close to correct. Because, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of your game players are learning <laughs> a little bit about history thanks to being – they're spending hours and hours and hours in this timeline that you've created. And, and uh, in a way, it's a, it's a learning lesson. I hope so. And I hope it's a, it, I hope it's a, we hope it's a fun one. Yeah? We try yeah. to um, – it's something which is actually because it's for an, an adult audience. Yeah, we also have like the the more serious topics of the period, and we try to cover all those things. But I think it's actually because I used to study history, uh, got a red history at the University of Vienna, like okay. uh, 25 years ago or so. <laughs> that um, yeah. it's something which is maybe uh, yeah close to my heart. Yeah. Well, 25 years, very little of history has changed since then, so I think you're in good shape. <laughs> At least not that history. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. we rewrite very little so far. Um, let me ask you this. Um, well, you know what? I just realized that I know um, the setting of Great Whale Road, but maybe a lot of our listeners have no idea. Uh, kind of mm -hmm. describe, uh, just at a high level, what is this game? Uh, the game is a seafaring adventure uh, set in the early Middle Ages, so it's like... Um, uh, the dark ages of European history. So it's it's around uh, set in the seventh century, just before the the proper Viking age. So if you think about Vikings and you think about what yeah. just happened before uh, those folks from Scandinavia started to raid across the coasts, um, there's actually a period where there was a lot of trade and sea travel already. And among those travelers were already already Danes and Nor uh, other Norse. But at that point in time, they were less raiding, they were still more trading. So we tried to cover that period and actually 
make that uh, accessible to players. And uh, you know what's great about it is, I mean, you're right. The way you interact with, I mean, first of all, uh, that time period was difficult. I'm so glad I'm not born then. I'm glad I'm born now. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. wow, always something, right? And um, at the same time, you get to, I get to de decide, you know, am I going to be Jerry the Terrible <laughs> or are you going to be Jerry the Great, you know? And, uh, you know, because I get to cooperate with nearby villages or I get to just take everything from them. And, you know, there's some long-term consequences. It's really a sophisticated game how this, you know, what you, the choices you make early kind of impact the, the things that are going to start occurring later in the game. And we were talking right before the call how the game is many, 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 many hours. And, you know, these early decisions, you, you know, you want to play it smart, I guess, really all the way through because you're always going to have the repercussion of the choices you make. Um, how, how interwoven, how, how much, how do you do that? Um, I think you come up with the, the, the capital is a story-driven game, so the story drives a lot of it. Yeah, so you come up with the with an overall story, uh, and then you try to break it down into different uh, acts. Yeah, it's it's yeah. very much yeah. like uh, writing a script for uh, for a movie. Yeah, so you yeah. have like you think about you have you know, how does the how does the story start? Uh, what is what is its uh, what is its high point, and then how do you come to a conclusion? How how does it end? And so you you, you have that story in the, within the historical setting, and you try to uh, keep the player engaged, and that's the, that's yeah. the key challenge. Yeah, it, it always has to be something interesting, something new, something surprising. So if you watch like The Walking Dead, they always have like the cliffhanger. Yeah, every yeah. episode and every series. Right, right. So you have to do something similar, maybe not as extreme, but to a certain degree you do. So you try to, each of the, the quests has to be a little bit of a cliffhanger to make sure yeah. the player wants more. And yeah. so when you, when you design your story, when you write it, uh, you work about, you think about the flow, uh, and then you just actually, then you spend a lot of time writing. And it was me and uh, Mary, who is our second writer based in New York, and we have spent like, we lock ourselves away for like, uh, uh, yeah. this at the end and then we just write yeah and then we, we put together uh, the different quests and uh, the storylines and we see if, if it works and then you have like a second a second round you rewrite stuff and then you rewrite it again and then after like three or four times you're you're happy with it and you can put it into the game how, how different is every gameplay like if I'm gonna play the game through and you're going to play the game through at a high level do you know what everybody is going to experience or is it is it randomized uh, there's some randomization, but we were actually, we were very, in our case, there are two different approaches to, to, to uh, yeah, game design, narrative game design now. So you have either the, the very, everything is uh, procedurally generated and random, or it's right. actually, it's actually uh, written and uh, the narrative has been designed. In our case, we have designed the narrative. Um, well, yeah. Well, and that, that allows the dialogue to be more precise, too, and allows what you're, you know, what you're engaging to be more exact and to be able to reference things before and after rather than guessing. It's pretty, it's pretty rich. I, I mean, it, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I've read a novel almost after I play a little bit of the game. That actually was our objective. We wanted to create something. We wanted to try to see if it's possible to create a... Uh, a historical fiction novel and transfer it to the medium of, of, of making it a video game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's certain it was a challenge because you have a lot more text than you sometimes would have in a classic RPG. So yeah. we had to sometimes compromise and uh, and find the right ways. 
uh, to integrate it, and we had to uh, we did we redid the uh, the user interface like two or three times to make sure <laughs> we could actually fit the text into the game in the right way to make it uh, uh, nicely accessible for the players. Uh, but yeah, there's actually also there are certain branches in the game. So, for instance, if you play the Danes, the Danish uh, main storyline, you will find that some players um, they have never discovered the second branch. They've only played one of the branches. Uh, so there's actually there are two different ways you can play it. And we've realized that most players actually uh, go down one route and only very few go down the second, which is quite interesting. And we have to, we will find out over the next few weeks, I guess, with more players coming onto it. Uh, huh? Why that is? I think it's because uh, well, I don't want to spoil it. So players have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to need some sort of challenge, right, to make sure everybody goes down every branch. All right. So uh, the writing of a game like this, we know it's complicated. We know it can really make or break a game. But a, a game like this is also really driven by the graphics. This is such a beautiful and polished game. Um, how did you decide on the style of graphics? Because it's not super realistic, you know, there's kind of a cartoon quality, but at the same time it feels very authentic. Um, I was, I'm quite old, yeah, Jerry, so I, I remember still uh, the old uh, Prince Valiant comics, which were actually, they were like reprinted in, uh, in Austria and Germany back in the, in the 70s. And those, uh, they were originally uh, American comics from the 1930s, and they're really, really lovely. And uh, I thought it would be really cool to actually do a game which goes into that direction. So yeah. when we actually started hiring artists, we were looking at can they actually do a semi-realistic comic style? And from there, everything started. So all our, all the all the folks we found for the team, they are actually able to do the style, and we were able to actually create the whole art, the characters, yeah. the backgrounds, everything in, in one, um, in this art style. It, so the, the writing, the, just the, the narrative around it, right, is really drawing you in. You, you have this really cool uh, visual experience, but I gotta say, man, if there's one thing that gets my blood pumping, it is this nonstop, like, soundtrack that you have created. That is like, it is so, I feel like everything, like even picking whether or not I want another farmer is the most intense, epic decision I'm ever going to make. It's, so, it's serious. Uh, how did you, are you the, uh, are you the writer of the score or where did it come from? No, uh, we have actually our, um, our composer, Victor. He, uh, Victor Yara, he's based in Barcelona. He's, he has done a few video games now, but he actually, he, he did mostly television and, 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 uh, music for yeah. theater and um, so actually when we started to work on how the, the score should sound like we were talking about uh, actually early medieval and uh, European old very old European folk music so yeah. we found like yeah. old samples we found like samples from um, uh, the Faroe Islands we found uh, uh, old Celtic music and we tried to actually and even old instruments cool. like the Saxon lyre so we put yeah. all those things together, and then uh, Victor was composing with those uh, ideas in mind, and what came out was great. So when I heard the first two, three tracks, I was like, yes, we yeah. need more of that. And unfortunately, we ran out of money after a while for the score, so it's only <laughs> like eight or nine tracks. I would love to have like 15 or 16. Yeah. <laughs> but all those uh, tracks we have now, they, they are really amazing. They really, really <laughs> work well in the game.
I'll tell you the truth, Yoakum. I have to turn down this, the music every once in a while because my hands are getting sweaty. I'm like, it's just too, it's so intense, you know, <laughs> that I turn it back up and I'm like, ah, I'm back in, here we go. <laughs> I mean, it really is terrific. Um, all right, let's talk about technology, right? Uh, so th this is a great game. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a Unity game. Yes, it is. Um, we picked Unity because, first of all, uh, most of the folks here uh, at university they use Unity at one point. So sure. it's something which is as a technology choice. It's just the it's just the easiest. It's if you have if you want to develop a game, you want to prototype it quickly, you want to put it out there uh, with uh, everything about it makes sense. It's just the, for us it was really the most cost-effective solution to get a game from like the early stage and prototyping to actually have something you can actually release. And sure. if you look at it now with uh, everything that happened in the Unity side, um, and now it's 5.6 came out, there's a lot of stuff happening. The, yeah, the, it's a smart the engine choice. has evolved. Yeah. Or a lucky choice, yeah. And <laughs> you know what? The, I don't think Unity is really a compromise either. You're just lucky to have a really great engine, a really great kind of composer screen, and as well as it's so well known. You're abs it's the same. I tell you what, if it's true in Spain, it's true in the United States. It's easy to find people with Unity experience. Yes. And it's easy to take people with no Unity experience and make them pretty great pretty fast. Right? It, it's a pretty straightforward uh, environment to start building out pretty great experiences and really beautiful kind of uh, interactions. This is a... Uh, now, this isn't a 3D game. This is a 2D. Or is it's, it... I, it looks 3D. It, it looks 3D, but it's a 2D game. So we, we, it took us a while to find the right uh, isometric look and feel for the game because everything we do, all the art we do, has like we fake, we fake a lot of perspective. So sometimes yeah. if you look at it, you think it's 3D, but actually no. Even the, the landscapes, the, the settlements, they're all 2D, but we are, we are actually faking perspective with movement and, and how we actually draw, the, how we draw the, the middle ground, the background art in the settlements. So all okay. those things, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. It took us quite a while to get it right. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. I bet it did. It looks, looks terrific. Okay, so I'm looking to where I can go get the Great Whale Road. And um, by the way, let's talk about the name for a second. Where's the name from? Uh, so this is an, uh, the Whale Road is an old English canning. So it's like a, a rhyme for um, the sea. So it's like the... the the road of the whales, really, or the path of the whales. So that's where the, the whales are traveling, and you're traveling uh, on the sea, so the whale road made sense, and yeah. uh, we just added the grade to it to make sure uh, we, we, didn't, we, we don't end up on the, on the W in some cases, yeah, because we want to kind of a list. You don't want to be oh, at the sure. end. <laughs> yeah. You should have called it a great whale road. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I see where the great came from. So it's kind of like naming it the sea. I get it. So it makes plenty of sense. You spend a lot of time in boats in this game. So it's uh, it definitely plays to it. Okay, um, I'm looking to I'm looking for the Great Whale Road. And what are some of the avenues that, as a businessman, you decided to choose to deliver your game? Uh, we started off uh, looking at, uh, of course, Steam. Steam is one of the the platforms. If you do an indie game, uh, mainly for the PC. Uh, it's uh, it's the platform you have to be on nowadays. It's yeah. also for us it was uh, um, a good option because we wanted to do a phase of early access, and Steam has uh, a long history of um, where the players actually know how early access projects work, and you can get your uh, game onto Steam for a few months. 
uh, in an earlier version, like a beta or a late alpha, and people play it, give you feedback, and you can actually incorporate that feedback into your game, which we did a lot. So we spent like nearly eight months in early access, and we actually, it was very, very good for us to actually see players play it, give us feedback, and actually then, um, yeah, move the game in certain areas. Let's, let's talk about user feedback for a second. Um, how much, if I were to look at the, if I were to look at the Great Whale Road a year ago versus today, how, how different is it? How much do you listen to what your players are saying to you? I think it has changed by at least 50 or 60 percent. Wow. Wow. So it has changed, it has changed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, also, that's also why I think, uh, that's something you have to always consider in game development, that if you have to make changes, because if you use a feedback, be prepared for the costs, because <laughs> there can be well, a lot a of costs point. later on. Yeah, and and be be willing to um, have a pre-release early, even if you know some of your graphics look terrible, even if some of your animations aren't quite there, just so you can you don't have to endure the cost of building it two times. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's beautiful. It's kind of a new world, right? It didn't used to be this way. It used to be almost where the game authors would say, this is fun, and they'd hand it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me think of that E.T. game that uh, Nintendo had. Um, okay, so um, we had it in Steam. All right, let's talk about Windows and uh, option number two. Yes, so the Windows Store. Um, it was actually something where it's really, really key nowadays to actually get onto every channel and possibility and the Windows Store is of course a great option. It's something which is like a, a household name. Uh, the Windows 10 Store is something which is very well integrated. It's, uh, uh, it's really easy to onboard to. So for us it was something which was like, okay, it was a no-brainer. Um, yeah. We were speaking to you guys and say, okay, yes, it makes absolutely sense. Um, that's something we, we, we should do as soon as we can and as soon as we were able to free resources, we were just uh, trying it out, and uh, uh, we are really, really happy with the result. Yeah, yeah, and I don't mind saying that having an application into the Windows Store even takes advantage of Windows 10S, which uh, is brand new, right? That and where nothing can install onto that device unless it's through the store. So if you want to have your game, if you want to have the Great Whale Road on the on the uh, Windows 10S device, then yeah. done. You, all you have to do is put it into the store, <coughs> but they're, usually, the apps that are in, a, in the store are UWP apps, Universal Windows Platform App. Yours is not that. And I think a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. especially Unity developers, that they know that the Unity IDE has a drop-down that says export as window, to Windows Store. That's not what you did, though. You use the desktop bridge. Um, yeah. why, why one way and, and not the other? Uh, for us, uh, it's, 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 like a first, it's like a first step. Yeah, because the desktop bridge allows us to actually export the game as is, yeah, yeah. Without, without considering that we might have to change, the, we should actually change the, the user interface and all those things, the whole, the whole UI and UX design for, for touchscreen and, and things like that. So for us to actually just switch it out and say, okay, with more or less uh, running one export tool, we can turn our Unity game into yeah. a game in the Windows Store is... Uh, is so much easier, and we can do it at any time in our life cycle. Even if we really, even if we have uh, uh, don't have like three months of budget or time available to actually redo uh, certain things like the UI. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, so it goes kind of like this. I, I've written my application in Unity. I want to export it to the store. Maybe I'm on the right version of Unity. Maybe not. You know, maybe I have to upgrade so I can export it to the store. That's not even a consideration using the desktop bridge. We just wrap it, treat it like uh, wrap it with an AppX, treat it as if it's a store application, and off it goes. And so you made it. You made the point, and that I think that's perfect. Is um, even if you haven't made it for um, you know like a small dev mobile device or you know something that's only touch screen, you can still deliver it now through the store and get a lot of the advantage that the store gives you, right? The thing where it will install it, it'll uninstall it for you, it'll keep track of versions, it'll give you telemetry, it'll update it whenever you guys put out um, new versions to make sure everybody out there has the latest version as well. So you get all these benefits and uh, the code changes. Now, I, was, I know because I was part of your process, right? So I know how many lines of code you had to change in order to get into the store. And it's none. It was incredible. I mean, we had to we wrapped it in the we wrapped it into the uh, Apex using the desktop converter, and um, and then the only thing we had to chase down was the renaming of a file. So we go in, yes, we all, fix that yeah. rename. Yeah, yeah. And no, we're like, oh, it really it's more or less out of the box. So for us, it was like uh, it was it was a super smooth integration. And there are other there are other channels where I can say the integration is by far not as smooth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's the point of the bridge, but at the same time, the value to you is you still have a single build channel now, right? You don't have multiple code bases, you don't have multiple, you know, whatever, one for this, one for that. You can make it so that we just reuse the EXE you already had prepared for, for Windows. So, I mean, that's, everybody's a winner, right? Everybody's a winner. I'm a user, so I get it in the store. You're, a, you're the author, so you get it in the store. Who, who, who's losing in this? Nobody is. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it I really is. Nobody, yeah? Nobody, yeah. They're, I like win-win. I'm all. I'm a big fan of win-win. Um, tell me just a little bit about the future of the Great Railroad. Um, uh, we, what do you call it right now? Version one or where? What number are we on? Uh, we are now on. Oh God, we are now on version one uh, zero nine as of today. Okay. Uh, so we are uh, the next. The next update. We have a big update planned for the end of May. Uh, okay. So that will be version one point one. Or maybe, depending on how, how quick we are with patching in between, 1.2, <laughs> depending if we go wild the next two and a half weeks. Um, in general, um, uh, this will be like the this will be the, the the first big major update where we add uh, two more storylines to the game. So at the moment, you can only only, but you can it's a uh, it's maybe not the right word. You can actually you have one full uh, story for like one uh, Danish village in Ulfastad. And we are actually adding two cultures to the game. You can play a Frankish monastery, and uh, you can play as a Frisian village. So you get these two cool. um, storylines will be added, plus loads of events in addition and uh, event illustrations. So we've actually started to all the main quest events will get their own specific illustration. That's a lot of stuff happening in the background. And you know, this is a. This game is a, it's such a deep game and so much to play. And you as the, as the author, you know, I'm sure you've played it a million times. Tell me the <laughs> truth. You go to bed, you close your eyes, and all you see is the Great Railroad. 
I, I don't know how many hundreds of hours I've played it. Yeah, uh, it's like because we have we have multiple accounts, studio account. I think I've just alone the studio account. I I think I've played three hundred hours or something. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, you you play it so many times, and you you rarely play it uh, end to end. So you always like you play that you play a few events, you play a quest, you test something, you try something out, you do right. it again. So you right. often you play the same thing for like fifty times in a row. Yeah. So and then you you dream of like you dream of everything. You dream of the scripting language of the speeds <laughs> of the events <laughs> of the of the packs. <laughs> uh, tell me, tell me the the what um what what's happening with the with the game in the future? Like you're going to change some of the narrative. You're going to change some of the graphics, or is the gameplay? Is it going to be that same gameplay I see today? It's going to be the same gameplay as it now. I think it's the, the, it will be additional narrative, and we are doing a lot of balancing in the background uh, based on because we have now a larger player base, we get more feedback, so we are we are rebalancing some of the of the of the fights in the game, and we are adding oh, uh, sure. we are adding art. So it's narrative and art primarily. Yeah, it it really is a it really is a balance of. Um, of difficulty and fun, isn't it? I mean, sometimes yeah. you you're playing along, you're like, this game, I hate this game, I can never win, and uh, and then you play another game, you're like, I hate this game, it's not a challenge, and there's there's some weird balance that really, I guess, only playing can tell you. Yes, and the other thing is like, it might be even if it's too easy for me, it might not be too easy for the average player. So balancing that in the right way is often is often not so it's not so easy. But I think we we're getting there now, slowly but steady. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, and every every game does. So uh, it's um, the way I see it. It's Halo and the Great Whale Road. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Jerry. <laughs> and then, uh, and what what's next for Sunburn Games? Uh, we actually we don't know yet. Uh, so we have to we have to we have to uh, complete uh, the May the May release, and then we have to look at sales numbers. We have actually we have another project we have another project planned, and we actually started on a concept. But it's with game development. It's always like uh, the last, the last title defines the next title. So it's always like, how much money do you have available to do something, yeah. uh, and what can you do? Yeah, that's always the question. So well, we, are, we are, we are, we are, we are excitedly uh, uh, waiting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a great story, right? I mean, you pick a technology that only makes sense. You pour your heart into it. You deploy it to Steam, a massive marketplace. You deploy it, you you put it into the Windows Store through the desktop bridge, so you don't have to really change any of your technology around. Now everything's rolling, and now it's just kind of, it's almost like that TV commercial where you're watching the users click, 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 click. Right? I mean, now what's going to happen next? It's pretty exciting. Yoakum, good job on the game. It's a lot of fun to play, and thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. We'll see you again.